Hebrews chapter 10, in your Bibles this evening, Hebrews chapter 10. In our hymnal, there's a hymn um, entitled, Till the Storm Passes By, and I'll read part of it. It says, In the dark of the midnight I have oft hid my face, while the storm howls about above me, and there's no hiding place. In the crash of the thunder, precious Lord, hear my cry, keep me safe till the storm passes by. Many times Satan whispered, There is no need to try, For there's no end of sorrow, there's no hope by and by. But I know thou art with me, and tomorrow I'll rise, where the storms never darken the skies. When the long night is ended and the storms come no more, and we're looking forward to that day, let me stand in thy presence on that bright, peaceful shore. In that land where the tempest never comes, Lord, may I dwell with thee when the storm passes by. And it says, till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast, let me stand in the hollow of thy hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Um, This weekend, keep the pierces in prayer. Um, I was able to talk with Betty this afternoon. And uh, the funeral will be on uh, Wednesday at 11 a.m. right here. Um, I would imagine the grave the graveside service will be over at the Flushing Cemetery. We'll be back here about 1 o'clock for the funeral dinner. There is, um, at Roselle's, there will be a time for you to visit the family if you cannot attend the funeral. And that will be on Tuesday evening from 4 o'clock until 8 o'clock right here in Flushing, Roselle's. So you keep her in prayer. You know, the waves of grief, they just keep coming in different forms. And uh, this is not new because she's known this was coming for some years now and has had time to prepare, and yet still uh, it just keeps coming. And as many of you know, it will continue to come for months and even years to come. You know, today she told me on the phone that she's, in fact, she was giving testimony of when her husband Dave trusted the Lord and uh, in particular hymns that have meant so much to her since he did that. And the wonderful hope that she has and the assurance that he's with the Lord in heaven even today. And uh, and then she began to cry. And she said, I don't know why I just keep crying. And you know, we do sorrow as believers. And it's not unspiritual to sorrow. That's part of it. Because she's lost the love of her life after all of these years. Doing everything together. um, Enjoying one another quarreling with one another, I imagine, here or there along the way, making up with one another, forgiving one another, loving one another, right? And, um, and uh, that part of her life has ended. And though she'll see him again, they can't go back and do over what they've been able to do for all these years. So there's grief, but there's great hope, too, that he is with the Lord and there's no pain. So keep them in prayer. I'd also ask you to keep in prayer Linda Belcher, Uh, Linda and Max Belcher um, normally uh, come on Sunday mornings. They sit over in the section over here. Um, Some of you have gotten to know them. Probably most of us do not know them, but they would count Trinity as their home. Uh, At least Max would. Uh, Linda is in hospice at McLaren, and uh, she is 
uh, not expected to live long. So be in prayer for Max Belcher, if you would, and Linda. And then Mary Morse is also not doing well. So there are a number of things going on, and uh, I know there are in your life as well. I've asked you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Before we uh, look to the Word of God here this, this uh, evening, Pastor Scott, would you stand and would you just pray for the Belchers and Mrs. Morse and for the Pierces, please? All right, I've asked you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll get to our text in chapter 12 in just a moment. Uh, remember, these Hebrew believers were, uh, had been through a lot. Uh, they were Hebrews, they were believers, they had trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Uh, they were struggling. Um, um, I think they, were, they had lost some confidence. I, I think... Maybe expectations were not being met in different ways. Life had been harder. Uh, maybe serving the Lord had been harder than what they had anticipated. Um, I imagine, like you and me, they had enjoyed victories, and, and they'd overcome different things, and they had given glory and praise to the Lord, and then uh, things became more difficult. And they, were, they, in fact, were enduring persecution from without, uh, something that most of us don't know anything about, at least to the extent where they were at. In fact, look back at chapter 10 for just a moment. Look at verse number 32. I do, I do think it's so important for you to remember this before we look at some of the things that we can do while we go through the hardships of life. It's important. If we, it'll, it'll be a help to us if we understand where they were. So look at verse number 32 for just a moment. Hebrews 10, verse 32. And I'll read verse 33 as well. It says, But call to remembrance... Uh, the Holy Spirit says to this church, but call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, they were, after you were saved, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock. I don't know if I told you, but that's the Greek word 
theatrizo, like a theater, you go to watch something. Um, well, they were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions. They suffered to such a degree that people just stopped and watched, okay? And partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds. This penman remembers that even while they suffered, they had compassion for him while he suffered and took joyfully in the spoiling of your goods. They gave, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. So these were godly people, okay? They had lived by faith. They had accounted uh, eternity with God to be of greater value than the temporal. So they were spiritually minded individuals. Look at verse number 35. He says, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. And here we have these believers who had endured so much. They had made good choices. They, had, they were godly people. Uh, they had lived for the eternal and not just for the temporal. And here they are at this stage in life, and, and they're struggling in the area of confidence. You know, is it, is it worth it? Are, are we on the right path? This isn't what we expected. And uh, this is the context of which we find these exhortations in chapter 12. And of course, in chapter 11, he points them to faith, taking God at his word. Remember, you're not alone. There's a great cloud of witnesses. There are other believers of the past who have endured what you've endured and greater than what you've endured. And they took God at his word even when their surrounding and their circumstances didn't seem, it didn't seem possible that, it would, that success could be had, that victory could be had, and yet they chose to take God at his word. And so there's this, and the reason it's laid out this way is because these believers were losing their confidence. And so uh, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever struggled with your confidence? Are we on the right path? This Something can't be right if, if these struggles are coming into our lives this way. Is this, is this what it means to be a Christian? Is this what it means to be born again, to be dwelt by the Spirit of God? I know this, the world is sinful in which we're living. I know my flesh is wicked and defiled and can't enter heaven's gates as it is. But Lord, this seems awfully hard. This seems awfully difficult. Well, remember, you're not alone. And there are some things that we can do, some ways we ought to think, in particular, as we're going through just life. And they're so very important. We've begun looking at them in chapter 12, so look there in your Bibles, chapter 12. And uh, look with me, if you would, at verse number 5. Because these believers needed to know, and they needed to embrace, that God had a purpose for everything. We just sang about it. Um, God's way is perfect. You know, when we, don't un- when we don't understand, we can trust his loving plan. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's plan for your life has been loving, that he's laid it out with love, and even there's mercy and grace there? Even when you and I have failed him, and I mean sinned against him, still, do you believe that his way is perfect, and that we've enjoyed his love and his compassion, his mercy and his grace? You know, sometimes where I'm standing right now, I can look back and say, without a doubt, I've experienced the mercy and the grace of God in my life. Even when I have wronged him, he's been merciful and gracious to me. Um, But it's not that far removed 
from those moments in life where I have struggled with, in the moment, how gracious is this? This is really hard. It would, it would it might seem that graciousness would be make it easier. It wouldn't be so hard. And I think all of us at times find ourselves there. So what are some things that we need to, that we can think on that will help us? Well, look at verse number five, beginning there. And, and I'm not going to pre, re-preach it, but I'll remind you, number one, understand that chastening, the chastening of God, is training and instruction. It's training and instruction. I'll look at verse number five of Hebrews chapter 12. I'll read down through verse 9. He says, And ye have forgotten, their confidence was wavering because they had forgotten something, forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, quotes Proverbs, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint, don't give up, don't give in when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. There's a discipline that takes place, and not just corrective. I've emphasized that maybe at nauseam. You're like, I know, Pastor Seth, stop saying it. We know uh, the chastening of the Lord is not just corrective. When I've sinned, it is instructive too. Well, I hope you know it, um, because otherwise what we try to do is just, we want to, we think, we will, okay, we'll just conform so we can avoid hardship. But do you know this? And we ought to avoid sin just because it pleases God. Um, but know this. Righteous people, people who are walking by faith, who are serving the Lord and loving him with all of their hearts, face the chastening of God. It's not corrective sometimes. It is instructive. He literally brings us into difficult and hard situations for our own personal growth so that we'll grow closer to him, so that we'll know him better, so that we'll love him more, so that we'll worship him to a higher level, so that we'll be a greater witness to him, okay? It is to his praise and to his glory. And all of us here are very careful right now to say amen to that. Amen means may it be so. No, we're all like, I'm not saying anything. Because we don't like going through hard, those kinds of lessons, do we? We don't. Uh, so look again at verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son, every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, instructive, corrective, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. So if, if you claim to be a child of God and you don't ever experience, experience the chastisement of God, the chastening of God, God says you're actually not one of his children. Because God the Father chastens who he loves, and he loves his children, and he chastens his children. He loves us. Oh, wouldn't it be great if moms and dads never spanked their kids? Wouldn't that be awesome? No, you guys don't think so. Jack, you're giving me the right answer. You're giving me the right answer in church, and I appreciate that. Um, Jack's right. It wouldn't be awesome if, if parents didn't spank their children because for a parent not to discipline their child that way 
it would mean that your parents would have to disobey God's word. And it would mean that they didn't love the child the way that they ought to love the child. And you know, our Heavenly Father, he chastens us, he disciplines us because he loves us. Because he wants us to grow up. Look at verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Am I willing to be in subjection under the leadership and authority of, of, of God, my Heavenly Father? Um, there's a hymn, Have Thine Own Way. I'm the potter. or thou, You're the potter, I'm the clay. Thou art the potter, I'm the clay. Mold me and make, make me after thy will, while I'm yielded and waited, waiting still. Um, are we willing to say that? Lord, you are the potter. You are the one. You have all wisdom. It all belongs to you. You want what's best for me. And I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to yield you. I'm going to sub- submit my, myself to your will and your plan for me. And I'm saying that in the context of hardship. And, that, and this is being said to these believers in the context of they were losing their confidence, and they were forgetting that whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And I know our first reaction when it comes to hardship is just get out of the hardship. Get me out of it. Make it go away, and then everything will be better. God has a plan. So number one, understand that chastening is training and instruction. How many of you like training and instruction? Not a lot of you. Um, but you got to like it about certain things. Can you think of anything that you enjoy being trained on, learning about? Surgery. Dr. Norell enjoys learning about surgery. And all who are operated by you, we appreciate your learning on that topic. Hunting. Okay, hunting. It's nice to know what's going on, right? You've got to learn some other things you enjoy learning about. Sewing. Okay. Ian. Science. Jack. Hunting. All right. Yes, Ernie. The buses. And there's a long line behind you of people wanting to learn about bus repair. One at a time. Please form a line over here. You know, there are different things we like to learn about. There's some things we don't want to learn. Godliness is something our flesh hates learning about. And uh, God uses hardship. He chastens us to grow us to be more like him. To trust him more, to love him more, to love more purely, to love more sincerely, to be overcomers. Uh, he, make no mistake, understanding, understand that chastening is training and instruction. When you leave this place, remember that. Number two, we learned that we're to trust God. Why? Because he knows what's best and he wants what's best for us. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, For they verily for a few days chastened us, speaking about our fathers, after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. And I love the way, this, the, way the Spirit of God gives this to these people. He's talking to them about chastening hardships, trials, And he's saying, God is doing this for your profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. He actually tells us why he's chastening us. Why doesn't life just, you know, we get saved and it's like whammo. It's like the 
perfect life, whatever that would be, you know, the perfect income, the perfect house, the perfect vehicles. We could work it out on like a lease program. You could keep it if you wanted to and just have a stash of vehicles and barns to house them all. But why isn't it just that way? You know, perfect health. And I mean, everything is just, I mean, whatever you want. Why? Well, our flesh for a moment might go, ooh, that sounds kind of fun. We'd all have a lot of junk. But God's interested in something much more precious than the temporal. He's talking about our holiness. Holiness. He wants us to be holy. Um, and, And I love how he says there in verse 10, it's for our profit, for our advantage, to make us better. But remember, not everybody profits from a trial. I do want to remind you of this. To profit from a trial requires that we become partakers of his holiness. If we are not growing closer to the Lord... If we're not becoming more Christ-like, if we're not becoming more holy, more loving, having more peace, more godliness, more joyful, we're not profiting. Now, in the middle of the trial, there's going to be a time of struggle. Okay, there's going to be a battle, and Paul talked about it, talking about that battle between the Holy Spirit within him and the flesh and the two being at war one with another. And you know that battle. And and by the way, when you're there in the battle, uh, you can rejoice in this, that you're not alone in it, and that there is a battle taking place. Because in the world, in unsaved people, there is no battle taking place. It's all one-sided. The Holy Spirit is not there. It's just whatever they feel like. Just do it. And if you can get away with it, it's okay. But that's not what the Bible says. And so in the believer's life, when there's that battle of, I just want this to end, and I'm so miserable, and okay, the Spirit of God is leading, he's working in you and me to make us holy, more Christ-like, while the flesh is dragging its feet, kicking and screaming normally along the way. But God wants the trouble in our lives to make us more like Christ. And he wants us to be holy. And I might put it this way in a negative way. He wants us to actually abhor sin. We sang that too tonight. Abhorring all our sin. There ought to be an abhorrence for it. Not a defense of it. Well, that's just who I am. You know, you get me, you get that part of me too. No, no. An abhorrence for it. That is the old man. He is wicked. Christ died to take that sin away from me. And Lord, give me victory over this particular area in my life. So spiritual, a spiritual response to trials always profits us. It can produce thanksgiving. They can produce prayer, humility, forgiveness, kindness, and holiness as we see from the passage. So look at verse 11 as I continue, and I'm reminding you of trusting God. He knows and is doing what is best for you. Look at verse number 11. It says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. How many of you here this evening can say you've experienced that? You've experienced the chastening of God, and it was grievous. I'm not, and I'm not going to say this could be correctional. It could be instructional chastening. How many of you in this room would say, Pastor Ferguson, I've experienced the chastening of the Lord hardships he's brought into my life, my life, 
And it wasn't joyous, it was grievous. It was hard, maybe even heartbreaking. How many of you can say you've experienced that? All right, most everybody. We, there, none of us should be ashamed of that, okay? If you're a child of God, you or your hand should be up, okay? Uh, otherwise, you have a problem because you're not in agreement with the Bible. Most of us, most of us, have, all of us have experienced that to differing degrees. So, so understand, chastening is instruction and training, but trust God that he knows what's best for you. It's joyous, not grievous, or it's, it's not joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, he says, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Pastor Burden, are you still going exercising? Yeah? What's your favorite exercise that you, or the one you do? Running on the elliptical machine. Do you enjoy that? Sometimes. Does your body always enjoy that? Not really. It's like, stop! <laughs> you know. Um, there are different exercises that we can do, and, and they... they uh, I can't think of a better word than exercise. It's, it's working the body in different parts. It's stretching things, even breaking things down to build things up, to strengthen. And in this particular uh, verse, he's saying these, this chastening of the Lord, this instructional or correctional chastening of God is for your exercise so that you will grow in righteousness, so that you will, as, as God exercises you, in the trial, you'll actually become, it'll become easier for you to, and more disciplined for you in, your, in this life to do what is right in righteousness. You, you, we all know what it's like to know what is right, but not to have the discipline to do what's right. We all know what that's like, to lack discipline. Um, but our Father's actually bringing hardships into our lives to exercise us. It's painful there's some soreness along the way with that exercise, but he's actually developing righteousness. And it's to his glory. It's part of his salvation. It's a miracle what he's doing. And, and don't forget to trust him because he knows what's best for you and for me, and he's doing what is best for you and for me. Uh, I don't know if any of us here have ever gone to a personal trainer for exercise. Um, I've tried to work out with Cindy a couple of times. I think I lasted like three days. And, uh, you know, you would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to watch that fiasco. Um, I think I was pouting about halfway through day two, uh, standing there about day three. It just was terrible. I mean, I, I didn't like it at all. Um, uh, a tr- but she wasn't the trainer. I just couldn't keep up with her. It was humiliating. All right, to me, as a man, I was like, can't we do something else that I can win at, (laughs) you know? Um, But if you have a personal trainer, (laughs) I'm, I'm sincere with you. A personal trainer is someone who could, who could pinpoint our area of need for exercise. You know, if we had a personal trainer, they could, uh, they could bring Pastor Scott, you know, and Pastor Burden to a room, Pastor Tolman to a room, and me. And, you know, and they'd, they'd weigh us and find out our diet and, and maybe do some exams and find out what exercises could actually be accomplished with us in the first place. And then they would put together a, 
a training routine just for Pastor Tolman, you know. The new abs of steel. Um, but we have a trainer, and I, I don't want to diminish the Lord, but we have a personal trainer who knows our areas of weakness. He knows our most intimate struggle, our deepest struggle. He knows exactly what we need. And I know in my own personal life, the Lord has actually brought me through different things, and he does it to you as well, to humble us. You know, I, I, we, we trusted Christ. He saved us, and many of us, in a sense, said to the Lord, Lord, I surrender my life to you and use me for your glory. Use me to bring you honor. And we kind of thought that meant that maybe he'd make us rich so we could give a lot more money to different things. Or maybe he would make us a great orator and people would just flock to hear our speeches. Or maybe we just have a tremendous reputation that people would be so overwhelmed by our godliness and our amazing personalities that people would just flock to the Lord because of that. And in actuality, God, in many of our lives, when we said, Lord, would you, would you please have your way in my life? Would you glorify yourself in me? And by the way, he will do this without our invitation. He has consistently chastened. He brought things into our lives. He's brought diseases into some of our lives. He's brought, he's brought us into marriage relationships. He gave us the children he gave us. How many of you, your children were exactly what you expected them to be? You know, how many of you, your spouse was exactly who you expected them to be? I want to ask you, Mrs. Scott, if you, if Pastor Scott, always measured up to exactly what you expected them to be. But, but I'm, I'm teasing the Scots. But, but you know that isn't that true? And the Lord uses everything, even us. We're not even who we thought we were. I thought I was smarter than I am, you know, some of us might say. Or I thought I, whatever. God even uses us to grow us up in this area of righteousness. But here's the thing. Trust him. Trust him. So you're in the middle of the storm. So you're not exactly sure how you're going to make it through. Trust him because he knows what's best and he's doing what's best to draw out his righteousness to transform us into being who he wants us to be. Now, look at verse 12, and I'm going to give you a third, uh, a third thing here um, that we can do while we're going through a trial, and that is this. Avoid making wrong choices. Avoid making wrong choices. We all make them, but when you're in the middle of a trial, when you're going through hardship, it is really easy to make rash, wrong decisions. Look at verse number 12. Verse number 12. It says, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Now, he's talking to these believers. Remember what they were going through. They were losing their confidence not sure they're on the right path anymore. This isn't working out the way I thought it was going to be. And he says to them in verse 12, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Now, 
hands that are hanging down is a picture of self-pity. We spent about three or I think three weeks on Wednesday nights talking about self-pity. Okay, so I'm not going to go into that. But words like fret in the Bible refer to self-pity or being anxious in the Bible are Bible words that refer to self-pity. We all can be we ought to be pitiful. Hey, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to go any further. We talked this on in, in, in detail on Wednesday nights. God is pitiful. We are supposed to be pitiful, compassionate toward others, but not self-pitiful. There's a big difference. He commands us to give pity. He commands us to be compassionate, but not to self. I'm the most compassionate person you know to myself. <laughs> okay, no, no. We're not supposed to be self-pitiful. In fact, it will lead to destruction. Bad decisions happen when we're living in self-pity. And so this hands hanging down has this picture. It's kind of a picture of self-pity, the woe is me attitude. And we can't live with self-pity. Hands hanging down also pictures, I think, weakness and exhaustion. Now, some of us would say, Pastor Ferguson, that's where I'm at. I am weak and I am exhausted. And, and they were, they were. And that's part of humanity. But these believers were struggling with self-pity. They were feeling sorry for themselves. They couldn't understand why this was happening to themselves. And so the Holy Spirit is giving them some understanding as to why it was. But feeble knees portrays uh, paralysis, kind of like a stroke. Feeble knees. In other words, they couldn't go on. They couldn't take it anymore. That was... And the, and the self-pity was welling up inside of them. And the Lord is striking the perfect balance in verse 12 between com- being compassionate for hurting people in verses 10 and 11 and exhorting us to live responsibly in spite of the hurt. Sometimes we get an attitude of, you know what, I'm just so overwhelmed. We almost don't expect ourselves to be responsible anymore. You, you know what I'm saying by that? I'm just so overwhelmed. You know what? Whatever. I probably wouldn't have watched this before, but it's on. Whatever. I just... Um, there's so much turmoil. There's so much, there's so much hurt and anxiety and maybe fears, and we're overwhelmed with these things. You know what? I probably wouldn't listen to this normal, normally. In fact, I haven't done it in like 20 years, but you know what? Whatever. Going down the road. Or I would never speak this way to my spouse, but you know what? You know how stressed out I am. So today, you're just gonna you're gonna get whatever. I'm not I'm not even gonna try. Here it comes. And what I, I want to encourage you with is avoid making bad choices when you're going through a trial. And God is telling us that He understands exactly how we feel and that He cares for us, but that our hurts cannot be allowed to paralyze us emotionally and spiritually. Have you ever felt paralyzed emotionally? Have you ever felt paralyzed spiritually? Now, some of us in this room haven't. And you're listening to what I'm saying. You're thinking, I wonder what that's like. If you've lived on this earth any length of days, you have experienced that. But the truth is, you need to go on. And look at what he says in verse number 13. And make straight paths for your feet. If you're going to have a path for your feet, that means you're taking steps. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. 
Make straight paths for your feet. In other words, get up and keep going. You can't just give up on life. You can't just say, you know what, this isn't how I plan my life. This is just too hard. It's too much for me. I can't go on. I'm not going on anymore. That's what he's telling these believers. You can't do that. You need to get up. You need to keep putting one step in front of another. You need to renew the purpose in your life. Look to the Lord for direction. Ask him for help. And why? He says it this way in verse 13. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. Now, to be lame is a bad thing, okay? It means to be crippled. But to be turned out of the way means to be completely out of joint. In other words, it's worse. It's a very, uh, it's a very important that we submit ourselves to our Father's training and our Father's instruction because things can get worse. And look again at verse number 13, the latter part. He says it this way, but let it rather be healed. And that means to be made whole again. So it's true that things may never be the same as they were, but we can be whole again. You know, these believers, the Hebrew believers, I think people were dead. People had died. People had, had suffered great persecution. The church would never again be exactly who they were at one point. People had suffered so greatly, but they could be who God wanted them to be. Some of us in this room, you have lost loved ones. You know, that marriage is never going to be, again, what it once was. God's taken them to be with him in in glory. And so there is still a hurt. There's a part of you that's not here. There's a part of you that's gone. But you can be exactly who God wants you to be. You know, some, some of us have gone through things and the spouses, we're still, we still enjoy their presence. But, you know, with the presence of a spouse still comes challenges, right? Because none of us are exactly perfect spouses. Um, not exactly. Some of us are closer to exactly, but not exactly perfect spouses, being really facetious there. But you know what? Even if your spouse isn't exactly the perfect spouse the way you think they should be, you can be who God wants you to be. So the hands hanging down, the paralysis that's taking place, the crippling that's taking place of, you know what, I'm not going any further. I'm not walking this path anymore. I've had enough. I deserve better from God is a wrong attitude. Trust his chastening. Trust that he loves you. Trust that he knows what's best and is doing what is best for you. Understand that you're not the first person to endure hardship in this life. And follow the faith of those who have gone before you and trust the Lord. But avoid making wrong choices. So while we're going through a trial, and even after, we can wonder if it's even possible to be whole again. It's true that things may never be the same, but we can be whole again. So let God heal you. Ask him to heal you. It's going to take some time, but you can have peace, you can have strength, you can have courage, and you can have even joy if you will let the Lord have his way.
I can remember years ago, Pastor Burden coming, to, coming into my office, and, and it wasn't a rebuke, but he challenged me on a certain matter. And it was the right thing for him to do. Um, and frankly, there were so many different things going on in my life at the time. I was struggling with what God was doing and how he was doing it. And, uh, and I was frustrated about different things with how God was working in my life. And, uh, and I, had to, I had to take some time with the Lord and really examine what, where I was going in life. And I really had to pray and say, Lord, if this is the way you've laid it out, then Lord, give me joy to go through it. Give me not just the courage to go through it or not just the willingness to go through it. You know, Lord, I, I'm willing to go through anything, but I'm going to go through it with the worst possible attitude. And everybody's going to know that I'm miserable. You know? No, no. Because I think I'd been doing that. I'd gotten that far. Lord, I'm willing to go through it, but everybody will know that I'm suffering. But you know what? I begin to pray, Lord, help me to have joy. That's, fruit of your, that's part of the fruit of the Spirit, Lord. That's what I'm supposed to have. And it's not right for me to go through it miserable. Sometimes there are things in life that are miserable, but there can still be a joy there, a contentment, a peace that's there. There's one last truth I want to give you in verse number 14, and that's this. Seek to stay close to God through the trial. Seek to stay close to God through the trial. So I've given you four thoughts. Understand that chastening is training and instruction. Two, trust God. He knows and is doing what is best for you. Number three, avoid making wrong decisions. And number four, seek to stay close to God as you go through the trial. Look at verse number 14, how he writes it. He says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. We're commanded to follow both peace with all men and we're to follow holiness, according to verse number 14. And this is a command to each one of us. Follow peace with all men. In other words, many times our problems are related to people, aren't they? I mean, these believers, their problems primarily were related to people. What others say to us or about us can hurt us. That's true. What other people do can hurt us. But we're instructed to actively pursue peace with people. It's it's helpful, I think, to remember that someday hearts will be made manifest And all things are going to be made right, but that isn't happening yet. And we also ought to remember that our battle isn't with people. Your battle is not with your wife. Your battle is not with your husband. In Ephesians 6 and verse 12, we're told that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so, he says, follow peace with all men. Stay close to God through the trial. And then he says, follow holiness. And I would say it this way, make it your goal in life to be more like Christ in every trial. Don't settle. You say, you know, I'm 40 years old, and the trials come, and you know what? I still find myself responding in the flesh then don't stop confessing your fleshly response as sin to the Lord, asking him to forgive you and cleanse you again, and say, God, keep working in my life. Thank you for not giving up on me. I want to be Christ-like. 
I want you to have your inheritance that you have purchased and that you deserve through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, in me. I want to be used of you. Don't give up on me. And he's not. He's not going to give up on you. So in every trial, ask God to use the trial to make you more like Christ. If you allow yourself to get spiritually defeated by holding a grudge against somebody, you will never find the Lord in the middle of your heartache. You'll not find him in the middle of your heartache if you allow yourself to be discouraged that way. Now, it's a, tra- it's a tragedy, I think, when people miss the purpose for the trial. And there are three verses that really warn us, and we'll close with this, of what can happen if we don't learn the lessons and get the victory God has for us. Three dangers of which we need to be aware. I'll be very brief. Uh, number one, bitterness. 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 Look at verse number 15. And, and I'll tell you this, emotional and spiritual defeat make us vulnerable to all of these, all three of these, bitterness. Verse 15 says this, Look, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And the word defiled means contaminated. Now he starts out the verse by saying, looking diligently, be aware, be on guard about this particular sin. Because if you're not responding emotionally and spiritually to the chastening of God, to the hardships of God in the right way, you're going to become angry with God. You're going to start resenting life. You're going to be resenting individual people, maybe even whole groups of people. You'll resent teaching, the teaching even of the word of God, of truth. And it will actually produce bitterness in your heart to the degree that many will be defiled. Many other people, it will actually spill out of you and it will contaminate other people. That's what he's warning these believers of in verse number 15. And if we're not going to let God minister to us his grace, then we will end up being bitter. You know, I, I think in my own life, this has just been a, maybe a part of me growing up. My dad probably could give several illustrations, but dad, unfortunately, we're running out of time. But I can remember, you know, if I was trying to do something, and I can remember pitching uh, in Little League, you know, and I would practice with my dad, and I would practice with my dad, and, and if I was pitching and I was just not getting the calls, or maybe I was just not able to put it over the plate, you know, the mechanics weren't right, or, or maybe, you know, I can still remember one particular boy, he always seemed to get a hit off of me, and it bothered me so much. I mean, every time I faced the kid, he's like, he... It's like his bat was, had a magnet to the ball, and it didn't matter what I did. And I was very competitive. And I can remember my coach, or uh, my dad coached a little bit, um, but the coaches I had, they would come out to the mound, and they would try to encourage me. And I can remember being mad, so mad I was mad at them. I was mad at everybody. I was mad at the whole world. If we didn't win, if I didn't pitch the way, if life wasn't going the way I wanted to go, I was mad. And so here the coach would come, and what was he coming with? Was he coming angrily to yank me off the mountain? No, he's coming out to help me get my focus again and encourage me. Seth, remember the mechanics? Step toward the mound, follow through, head down, you know, whatever. And, uh, and he ended up trying to encourage me, and I would be rejecting their encouragement. He's talking here about the grace of God. What are you doing with the grace of God? 
He's encouraging you. He's comforting you. He's consoling you. He's helping you. He's right there with you. He's never leaving you nor forsaking you. You are not alone. The grace of God is there. It is present. It is It is flowing out. God is giving it to you and to me to go through the trial so we can grow in righteousness and holiness, to love God more, to please Him, to walk by faith and not by sight. And some of us may be guilty of, frankly, pushing away the grace of God. But know this, if you do, according to verse 15, you will fall, a root of bitterness will spring up inside of you, and it will take so great a hold of your life that many other people around you will be contaminated by the bitterness that's inside of you. And this is a terrible thing, I think, especially when it starts to show up in the lives of our children. And, we, and we'll say someday, well, you know what, I took them to church. We had them in church. Or whatever. It shows up and I told my friend the right thing. I don't know what their problem is now. I don't know why they don't like God so much. Well... If we were living, if we're turning away the grace of God in our lives and allowing bitterness to grow up inside of us, that's what they were seeing. There's another particular, another particular thing we ought to be aware of, and that's immorality. Look at verse number 16. Verse number 16, just the beginning part, he says this, lest there be any fornicator. Now again, he's saying, looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up. And then he says, lest there be any fornicator. Now, fornication has the idea of immorality. Uh, It covers pretty much everything. Any kind of immorality, from pornography to adultery, um, sex before marriage, okay. Everything that's ever been dreamed up by man, fornication covers that. But I want to tell you this, as the Holy Spirit was addressing these believers about their discouragement, and they had suffered severely, he says, I want you to be on guard for something. Because if you're not going to see what's happening in your life as actually the love of God toward you, you will be vulnerable to immorality. It's actually when we're discouraged When we're discouraged, we are most, one of the times when we're discouraged, we are actually more vulnerable to immorality than when we are encouraged, when things are going well. And this isn't just for the Hebrews. This is from the Holy Spirit to you and to me. It's when we're discouraged that we're most vulnerable to immorality. And some people plan their sin. And some people are ensnared in a moment of weakness, but neither are appropriate or condoned by God. Now look at verse number 16, the the middle part, and this will be the last truth that we're warned of, dangers we need to be aware, bitterness, immorality, and then profanity. Look at verse number 16, the middle part. He says, or profane person. The word profane is interesting. It means to cross the line profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he had, would, have, would have inherited the blessing, being the oldest, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. And so the Holy Spirit actually in, uh, illustrates for us this idea of this danger of being a profane person. And there's a danger that you and I find ourselves facing when we are discouraged. We're losing confidence going through hardship. 
first is bitterness, the second is immorality, and the third is being a profane person. What does that mean? That you have a very vulgar mouth, you swear and cuss at everybody? No. It means you're in danger of crossing a line that you won't be able to return from. And he illustrates it with Esau. Esau was a hunter. Anybody tell me what the name Esau means? We need a, we need a little levity right now. So what does the word Esau mean, his name? It means hairy. Yeah. It has the idea of red, but it means hairy. So maybe that was his nickname, Harry. I don't know. But Esau was, was his father's favorite, you remember? And he, and he was his father's favorite because his father loved, in the Hebrew it almost has the idea of his father loved venison in his stomach. <laughs> so he loved Esau because Esau hunted and brought venison home. Some of you are like that. Um, Jacob, you remember, was cooking pottage. And his mom was, Jacob was his mom, Rebecca's favorite. And Jacob was home, and he was cooking one particular day, and Esau had been out hunting. He was very hungry. He came home. He was so hungry, and he said to his younger brother, Jacob, he said, give me some of that pottage. I am faint. I'm so tired. I need something to eat really bad. Have you ever been like that? So hungry? I've been like that too. And he said, I need something really bad. And Jacob, who was a deceiver, he said, you know what? I'll give you pottage, but it's going to cost you something. Sell me your birthright. Now, Esau was the oldest. He was the firstborn. In other words, he had spiritual benefits and blessings. He had um, physical blessings that Jacob, his younger brother, would not have had. And Esau says something like this, and you can read about it all the way back in Genesis. Esau basically says, what good will any of my birthright do to me? It's worthless to me. It's not important to me. I don't value in essence, that which God has given to me and entrusted into my care. I want immediate satisfaction right now. I just want some relief from my hunger, from my suffering. And I'm willing to give away something that is incredibly valuable for something that will satisfy me temporarily. And Jacob said, sure, I'll be glad to do that. And he did. And the Bible says here to us in Hebrews chapter 12 that after he realized what he had done, when Esau began to think correctly again, it says in verse number 17, he would have inherited the blessing. He was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. There came a point where Esau went back to his dad, and he said to his dad, Dad, don't you have something for me? Can I have what I gave away, in essence? his dad said, no, I can't give you what I could have given you because you traded it away in a moment when you were tired and weak and hungry. And there are some of us in this room, and we're tired, and we're weak, and we're hungry. Don't be a profane person. Don't make some decisions and cross the line. And there's always forgiveness with God. But you know what? There is possible to cross a line where you can't come back from. You can never go back and have what you left behind. There are moments like that. So can I encourage you with these things? Remember, trust him, love him, make right choices. But remember the dangers. Bitterness is not okay. 
Immorality is not okay. You say, you know, I'm just trying to get release, relief from the pressures of life, and this is a way I can do it. It's not okay. And be careful of profanity. Don't cross the line. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for these very practical warnings from your word. Uh, Father, thank you for the hardships of life. Uh, Lord, we know they're not just hardships. We know that you actually are working. Lord, give us wisdom. Because you do give us choices and decisions to make. Lord, help us to make good, wise choices. Give us clarity. But Lord, if there is no way out by a good, wise choice, then Lord, help us to endure and build our confidence in you, knowing that you love us, and so you are chastening us, that we will be righteous and holy before you. Keep us from these dangers, Lord. I pray that you'd make up a hedge of protection about this congregation. Lord, even this week as we go out back into the highways and byways of life, Father, make up a hedge of protection, I pray, because we need your help. We need your deliverance. We need your strength. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are to